Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. What's up? I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Hope you all are enjoying the day. It is, uh, man, it is the first week of September. It is beautiful here in Idaho where I'm recording. I'm actually, this is so crazy, I'm actually looking out at the Snake River right now. Uh, Sun is shining, there's a boat. (laughs) Maybe I should take a picture of this. A boat in my backyard. And uh, we must have some, a really good fishing spot right out our backyard. Actually, I've never fished it, but anyway, a lot of people are fishing. But on that side note, hope you all are enjoying the day. You know, um, I love having this podcast, just being able to talk to people and experts just around the world. And I love learning new things. And I'll tell you what, I learned so much today about this ferocious little black-footed cat That is correct. It is a very small cat. It is three pounds, but as you will find out, it is uh, a ferocious, little tenacious predator. And I'm so happy I have on the podcast Marion Holmes from the Cat Conservation Trust based out of South Africa. And what we do is we actually kind of talk about the black-footed cat along with some other smaller African cats that, you know, a lot of people are not aware of. And that's the goal of the Cat Conservation Trust is really to create public awareness of the plot of these smaller cats that really don't get a lot of attention, you know, like your lions or leopards or cheetahs. So I really learned a lot during this. And, uh, you know, I actually have a new respect for these smaller African cats. So you'll definitely learn a lot. Before uh, we play the interview, I please just a reminder to rate the show on iTunes, leave a nice review. I'd really, really appreciate it. Also, if you haven't already, check out our social media channels, uh, Facebook. Also follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, I love hearing your feedback. I love your comments. And so thank you, as always, of course, for uh, listening to the show. I hope you enjoy my interview with Marion Holmes from the Cat Conservation Trust. And we're live. I'm so excited to do this interview. <laughs> I'm happy we were able to figure out this Skype thing. Yes, uh, it's a challenge, but we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners right now, where are you currently? Um, well, I'm at our base, which is 60 kilometers northwest of Craddock, which is in the Eastern Cape province of South Africa. Okay, okay, nice. I'm in, I'm in Idaho right now. Can you see the river behind me? Uh, yep. Yep, and there's a boat going by. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marion, thank you so much once again for doing this because you're uh, you're part of such a unique organization called the Cat Conservation Trust. And I really like this because when you think of Africa, you think of lions and you think of leopards and cheetahs, but often aren't these small cats kind of forgotten? They are definitely. Um, nobody really uh, takes any notice of them, especially the little black-footed cat, which is the smallest cat in Africa. Um, and as you say, everybody goes, ooh, ah, about the big ones, but never mind the small ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is that what, I mean, have you always had a passion for smaller cats? Or is it something you fell into? T- tell me your journey. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, we fell into it um, by accident, I suppose one could say, um, where we came to meet uh, Dr. Mersha Fleidra, that's the German researcher we work with, and um, she was working with the black-footed cats and the African wild cats, and she introduced us to the world of the little cats, and we were just fascinated, and it grew from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you have, currently in South Africa, you have seven indigenous wild cats? 
Uh, in the country, yes, there's seven cats. Seven species. Wow. So let's let's talk a little bit about the species that you have there. Okay. Well, uh, we have four, the four smaller ones, which, as I mentioned, is the black-footed cat, and that's the rarest one. Um, that's actually on the CITES Appendix One, and has been since the 1970s. And the researchers um, in the field estimate that there's no more than 10,000 of them left in the wild, which is quite scary um, when you think about it. And they're phenomenal little animals. You know, they're maximum three pounds, but they look like a mini leopard. <laughs> wow, they're only three pounds? Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, but their kill success rate is 60%, which is the highest of any cats around the world. Um, but because they, they're so secretive and shy and strictly nocturnal, people don't get to know how special these little cats actually are. Uh -huh. um, the other the other cat that we work with is the African wild cat. Um, that's the ancestor of your domestic cats. And unfortunately, they interbreed with your domestic cats or your feral cats, which has put them a bit on an evolutionary dead end. Um, so we're trying to, you know, use education to, to help the, the two smaller species. Um, we then also deal with a serval, which is a medium-sized cat. Um, that's the one with the big ears. And um, there we're now working on trying to teach people that they, although they're the size of a sheepdog, they actually can't kill anything bigger than a rabbit-sized animal. Um, so we're trying to educate the farmers because up until recently they were shot on sight because they were perceived to be a threat to livestock. Um, so we're busy changing the perceptions of that cat. And then the most controversial one that we work with is the caracal. People here call it a lynx, but it's no relation to a lynx whatsoever. Um, and we're just trying to educate people that the bad rap it's got is not, it's not deserved. There are other factors, mitigating factors, and all these cats scavenge on dead animals. So... You know, when a farmer comes across a cat scavenging on a sheep lamb, it, they can't automatically assume that the cat killed that sheep lamb. It might just be an opportunistic meal. So those are the kind of things we're trying to educate the people about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I actually just recently uh, interviewed a caracal researcher in South Africa. And, uh, yeah, and she said that there's such a problem because um, caracals do occasionally actually take people's pets. Yes, yes. Yeah, which yeah. isn't, yeah, which is, it kind of sounds, <laughs> they, I know, that's not good. Uh, well, they kind of sound like uh, coyotes out here, you know, out west where I live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. trying to get change people's perceptions. Yes. Um, it's, you know, it's difficult because as I, I work a lot with children, um, especially in the rural areas that where they're surrounded by national parks and they need to know about their, their cultural heritage. Um, but, you know, it's like if you're hungry and you have no access to food, you're going to go and steal somebody's food. You, you can't help yourself because you're hungry. And it's basically the same. If the cat doesn't have any of its natural food available, you're not giving it any choice but to go and be a problem animal. Um, yes, you do have problem individuals that have to be removed, just like um, if you live in a suburb and you have one person that is breaking into all the houses. It's not fair to target the whole neighborhood um, 
but just to target that one person. And that's the other thing we're trying to teach the people is that it's not necessary for this blanket killing of the cats. You need to identify your individual and then remove that individual. Um, so, that, you know, I, I know it's easier said than done. You know, in theory, it's always a lot easier than in practice because every farm is different and each farmer has his own unique set of circumstances. But it's worth a try. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it's just all about education, especially with, with kids, just with young students, you know, because that's yes. our future, just with the generation. So back onto the Cat Conservation Trust, do you, you actually have cats, correct, that you use like for educational animal ambassadors? Um, yes, uh, they don't travel with us to the schools, though. They stay in enclosures on the property. Um, they do sometimes breed, and then we sell the offspring to private game reserves for release. That's always the first prize. But we do work with selected breeding centers um, where we will sell them new genes. And it's not a case of we can't give the cats away because it's very expensive to, to look after these animals. So you have to try and recoup your money somewhere. And, you know, it's not as if we're charging the earth. To give you an idea, an African wildcat goes for about 2,500 rand, which is about $200. So that doesn't pay very many bills, as you can see. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, it's like with a dog. You know, people have got to pay something for the dog because then they will appreciate it. If you just give someone a dog, they are less likely to look after it. It's it's kind of the, the same principle. But yes, we have those cats here and we have people come and visit the facility and they see the cats and they learn about them. But what we do when we go to the schools is we have full body mounts of these different species that we take with. You know, for liability issues, we can't take the cats with. And also, if you're talking about, you know, big schools sometimes we're talking to 700 children at a time and just the the noise alone would stress the cats out so much that you know you you can't take that chance um but yeah it's sort of a traveling thing that goes with us and the kids are allowed to touch all the mounts and skins and skulls because with them with any child they need to touch to be Mm -hmm. able to to learn properly so that's also part of what we do Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So people, so how many cats are you are you currently taking care of at the Cat Conservation Trust? Um, I'm guessing about twenty twenty five. Um, that's sort of low in number at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of them are rescue cats, um, cats that have been confiscated by the authorities and brought to us. Um, and a lot of them will not be able to be released again, mm-hmm. so they will live out their days with us. Um, and that's why we will keep them and use them for educational purposes. Um, to give you an idea, we go through about five tons of food a year. Just wow. on the small cats. <laughs> just on the small cats? Wait, wait, five tons? Yes. Oh, my gosh. What are you <laughs> they f- eat a lot. Um, you- it's not like with a, a lion or a cheetah where they will eat once every few days and they'll gorge themselves. Um, the small cats eat lots of regular meals. Because in the wild, they'll be catching a bird here, a mouse there. So they need to, we feed them twice a day because they need these regular meals. And they do actually consume quite a bit. Oh my gosh, that's oh, crazy. So, so in your facility, I'm assuming you have caracals? Yes. Servals? Yes. Mm-hmm. Black-footed cats, of course. Yes. African wild cats. 
What is uh, what are what are their temperaments like? I mean, are, are these all individuals, or is one particular species easier to work with than the other? Uh, no, they all have their own temperament. Um, it depends what situation they come from, but invariably the black-footed cat is the most challenging to work with because of their fierceness. Um, <laughs> Marion, I'm sorry. You, you said you said this cat was three pounds. Yes, yes. Um, you know. A, African folklore has the black-footed cat ripping out the jugular of a giraffe. <gasps> and while we <laughs> we know that that's not physically possible, but that was the way that the indigenous people used to try and portray how fierce this cat is. If you had a black-footed cat the same size as a leopard, you'd need to watch out for the black-footed cat, not the leopard. The leopard would be tame compared to the black-footed cat. Oh, my God. Gosh, I am seriously learning something new. I would just, and I don't, in my, well, I guess I don't have that much experience with these smaller African cats, but I would think that this cute little three pound black footed cat would be the easiest to work with. I mean, are they, No. do you, I mean, do you have to go through like, do you work like um, protected contact in the exhibits? Is that how you work with them or do you just no, go? no. I go in and we don't wear gloves um, in the summer we go in in shorts and sandals and you just take what comes um, but invariably the cats learn you know you you learn to respect the cats they respect you that's their territory you behave accordingly um, and as long as you don't try and touch them or fiddle with them they're fine okay interesting what is probably one of the more calmer species that you work with <laughs> uh, the serval Really? The, yes, yes. Um, it's known to be the, the most um, friendly of the smaller cats. Um, it's got a very calm temperament. It will back away from an argument. It doesn't sound like it. You know, when they are letting you know it's their territory, they will hiss and spit and smack the ground in front of you. But that's just their bravado. Um, they're actually really good cats. Um but, you know, African wild cats are also pretty good because, you know, they're the ancestor of the domestic cats, so they kind of have that temperament too. Um, but each individual varies. You know, if a cat's come from an, uh, a situation where it's been abused, not physically but maybe psychologically, we've had quite a number of those types of situations where the cats have spent the first a few months, sometimes even years, shivering in a corner because they've been so badly um, treated by people um, oh. psychologically. And, you know, to get that cat out of that frame of mind is just so rewarding. Um, and then, you know, to, to develop that bond and be able to interact. I mean, we never physically touch the cats. That's not what we're about. But just to be able to go in and feed it and watch it eat, um, it's really rewarding. Wow, it sounds a lot like because I actually in Idaho I I run an, an animal rescue, so I have around twenty five different exotic reptiles mainly, that that <laughs> alligators, but no, but that people got that you know they some of them abused, some of them got too big. Is that a problem in South Africa with people getting these exotic cats and then realizing like oh crap, what did I get myself into? Um, not in the cities, no. In the rural areas, that happens a lot with the caracal and the black-footed cat. The black-footed cat kittens start leaving the den at about three months old, and they look about the size of maybe a six-week-old domestic cat. And they're born, you know, well, they've got spots and straps. So people see this little kitten walking around and they think, oh, shame, abandoned kitty cat, let's take it in. 
And then they take it home trying to tame it, and they never tame. And if you feed the black-footed cat an incorrect diet, you're signing its death warrant. It has very specific requirements for its diet. So in a lot of instances, the people then get bitten and scratched by the black-footed cats, and then they don't, you know, then they own up to the authorities that it apparently wandered in or something like that, and then they're brought here. Um, so, you know, it, it's mainly ignorance on the part of the rural people that do that. But also what happens with both the caracal and the black-footed cat is we have these guys that go out at night and shoot caracals and jackals. But unfortunately, in practice, they shoot anything that moves, which includes African wildcats, Cape foxes, and little black-footed cats that, uh, you know, they can't harm the sheep, but they just get shot anyway. Um, and then these night shooters will, if they find a female with milk, they will try and find the kittens, and then they will sell off the kittens. And people in their ignorance will buy these and then try and raise the cats. And at three months, the caracal kitten starts becoming a handful. And at nine months, they're a teenager. And I mean, we all know what t human teenagers are like. <laughs> now. Imagine a four-legged chainsaw like that. Uh -huh. I, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah. go, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, then they become a problem. And that's when it ends up to be our problem. Yeah. I actually worked with a rescue caracal one time on television. I do a lot of educational television segments, and it was one of the worst experiences because I like to talk with my hands, and the caracal was just <laughs> I, I was the caracal was just swatty. I'm like trying to talk, and you know what I mean, and it just was a complete disaster. Uh, it, was, it was it was not good. Uh, yeah, they definitely were wild. Definitely wild. Um, so, Mary, can we talk a little bit? You mentioned that the black-footed cat eats a specific diet. Can we talk about that really quick? Yes. Um, the majority of their diets are gerbils, little rodents, um, and birds. Um, they will scavenge if they are battling to find their own food. Um, but, you know, people, when they look at them, we had a, a little black-footed cat kitten that was fed wet kitten food um, from the store as well as cow's milk, and both of those are deadly for a black-footed cat. You can't feed them dry food like cat pellets. That You know, you're going to muck up their digestive system. They've got to have game meat. They've got to have dead one-day-old chickens, um, dead ostrich chicks, whatever we can lay our hands on. So we never feed livestock. We never feed um, sheep, goat, or beef. Okay. Not only is it too, it's too fatty, and that affects their liver function, um, but also, you know, beef we stay away from because of the hormones. All cows are given hormones. So you don't want that to impact the cats. So we stick to game meat, and I know it sounds terrible, but we also um, feed the horses. When they're horses that need to be put down, then we use that as cat food. Um, and any farmers, you know, although we, we don't condone the practices around here of, of shooting monkeys and baboons and all that kind of thing, but the farmers have learned not to throw that away. They will phone us and they will say, we've culled monkeys or we've culled baboons. Do you want them for your cats? And we will go and fetch the, the carcasses and feed them out to the cats because that's what they need. They need the fur and the bone and all that kind of thing. So we, we can't say no to that. Wow. I am just, yeah. You know, when I first saw the black footed cat, I'm just learning so much. I guess this podcast <laughs> is turning into the black footed cat podcast. 
I just mm-hmm. assumed because it looks to me so much like a domestic cat that you would just you know have no problem feeding it a domestic pet food. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how varied that their diet had to be in captivity. Yes, uh, it it has to be uh, it has to be varied. You know, they need all the uh, there's uh, certain there's eight amino acids which are essential for any cat, and if they don't get those in. Um, there's hell to play further down the line. Now, this black-footed cat I mentioned that was fed the wet kitten food and the cow's milk, um, when he came to us at three months old, the, the damage had already been done to his digestive system that we were, were not aware of when he died. The, the post-mortem revealed all these things that had taken place and progressively got worse. With the little black-footed cats, um, they suffer from a kidney disease called amyloidosis which is fatal. And all cats, all black-footed cats carry this genetic marker for this disease. And any kind of stress will set it off, whether it's diet, whether you name it. Human stress, it will set this disease off. And then it's not a case of if they're going to die, but when they're going to die. Um, and that's what was sort of a contributing thing with Otto, but it was a whole lot of other things as well. Plus that his system just couldn't develop properly because of the incorrect diet as a kitten. We don't know how long he was with these people trying to be fed this. You know, when he came to us, his abdomen had no hair. It was covered in ulcers. Um, he'd lost the muscles in his back leg. He was legs. He was hunched over because he had permanent diarrhea from this incorrect diet, and he was in permanent pain. Oh. And they actually gave him a 20% chance of survival um, before they drove him down here. And it took us two months to stabilize his stomach. And we did eventually pull him through. But, you know, he only lived three years because the damage had already been done. You said that the black-footed cat, you said they are disappearing. What is what is the main threat? Um, habitat fragmentation is one of them. The male's territory is about 20 square kilometers, and the female is half of that. So it's a huge territory. Um, in addition to that, their biggest predator is a jackal. So a lot of farmers are killing caracals because it's easy to catch and kill a caracal, but it's a lot more difficult to control the jackal. So because the caracal numbers or all the caracals are being uh, shot more frequently, the jackal numbers have exploded. And this has had an indirect impact on the, jack- on the black-footed cats. But the other big problem for the black-footed cat is the feral cat diseases. You know, the feral and domestic cats carry five diseases which they could be immune to, but they're the carriers. And it's deadly for the black-footed cat as well as the African wild cat. So unless people start controlling their feral cats, um, the black-footed cats are going to keep declining. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How – oh, my goodness. That's – okay. And what did you say their their numbers were right now? What is it – the researchers are saying there's no more than 10,000 left in the distribution area, which is only the southern part of Africa, nowhere else in the world. Wow. Okay, Mary, and the, go ahead. The, the, the current um, captive um, black-footed cat stud book, as it's called, which is not a very nice word, um, which is a register of all black-footed cats in captivity around the world, stands at less than 100. 
And a lot of those individuals are related. So if there's any smash in nature, we don't have the opportunity to fall back on the captive genes to try and reintroduce them into the wild. Um, it's quite a situation to be in. Marion, I'm going to ask you a question. What are my chances of me going to South Africa and seeing a black-footed cat on safari? Um, not point not one. <laughs> Have you ever seen one on safari? Uh, no, um, but I know that in one of the national parks near here, they have seen them on night drives. Um, but I haven't seen them out in the wild, no. We do um, have farmers that phone in and tell us when and where they've seen them, but it's really rare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And it, it, it probably is so hard to raise awareness about these small African cats when people don't see them on safari. Yes. Yes. And because they, you know, when people see what the cat looks like, they think, oh, but it looks just like a house cat. Um, so that's also problematic trying to get them excited about the conservation of something that looks like your tabby mm -hmm. or that they, that they think looks like the tabby. Absolutely. What is something about these small cats, like a fact that you know that a lot of people don't? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> let me just put you on the spot. <laughs> There's just so many. I don't know where one chooses it from. Um, the the uh, black-footed cat, for example, their teeth, their, their canines are so small and so sharp because they are they have evolved to fit in between the vertebra of their prey. So if you look at a mouse and you look at the, the distance between the vertebra, those teeth have got to go in there. So those teeth will get through Kevlar gloves. They will go through a chain link glove. So you don't even wear gloves around oh them because gosh. it's going to go through anyway. Oh my um, but, you know, in general, um, what I tell people what makes the cats so different is that, you know, cats don't have collarbones. That's why they can run as fast as they do, climb the trees that they do. Um, they don't have molars. That's why they can't chew bone in contrast to a, jo a dog that has the molars and can chew. And like you and I, we've got molars so we can chew. Um, a serval's ears are, if you look at the big ears of a serval and if we had ears in relation to our face the size they do, our ears would be the size of dinner plates. Oh, my goodness. Because they use, you know, they use their ears for echolocation to locate their, their prey in the long grass and underground. So, you know, each one has its unique um, characteristics or unique information. Uh, a caracal's ears, it takes 20 muscles to control the movement of those ears. That's how fine-tuned they are. Um yeah, it's just kind of all these little bits of useless information. <laughs> I don't think it's useless. I love this. I'm over here. I'm over here learning. Okay, Marion, I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you ready for this? Okay. It might be hard, but what is your favorite out of the small African cats? The black-footed cat. I can tell because it's <laughs> it's dominated <laughs> the whole podcast. Is it why? Um, because it's so um, rare, so difficult to deal with, um, and just needs our help more than anything else. And believe it or not, each cat has its own smell. Um, they, they have their own unique smell, especially when they urinate somewhere. And to me, the black-footed cat's smell is just 
so different. You know, an African wildcat, well, that smells like your tomcat. Um, the serval and the caracal, they're very similar, but not that much different from a catty smell, whereas a black-footed cat is totally different. What does it smell like? Can you give me a... <laughs> I, Marion, I'm just so fascinated by this little three-pound ferocious cat. Oh, uh, no, I actually wouldn't know how to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it more... Because I could smell in my mind, I just remember at our local zoo, they had servals, and you could just smell them through the exhibit. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I could smell that. So it's nothing like that? No, it, it, it the, the serval has a, a much more acidic, smell, if I can put it that way, to their urine, whereas the black-footed cat's not as as acidic. It's, to me, believe it or not, has a more of a fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> I hope someone's not enjoying their morning cereal listening to this. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Okay, uh, so... <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, uh, do you have any advice for anyone who wants to get into this field or um, who wants to make a difference for our young listeners? Um, yeah, you know, always to get involved in, in conservation programs, no matter where they are. Um, education is, is a big thing, you know, um, even for the kids at the schools, um, if you've got the opportunity to do a class project um, on a wild animal, choose one of the smaller cats if, if that's what you, you find that you're liking, um, just so that other people can get to hear about it or go and see if there's anything you can help with at your local zoo. I know there's a lot of people have an issue with zoos, but for city kids, that is often the only place that they will get to see these animals in the flesh. So as far as I'm concerned, zoos do perform an important function. Um, they've just got to be run correctly. But, you know, any any little bit, write an article for your local paper, for your school newspaper. As I say, any little bit helps. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, I have one last question. It's completely off topic. Yes. Since and I, I almost forgot to ask you. Since we were talking about the uh, the urine, the uh, or the smell, <laughs> do these? And I don't know if this is a stupid question, but do they use? Do any of these small African cats? Do they use litter boxes by chance? No. Um, the African wildcat is the only one of the four smaller species that will cover its scat. The others don't. They use that to mark their territory, so they want it to be prominent. Um, but litter boxes, no. Okay. Just curious. Just curious. Awesome. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to come to South Africa sometime. Would you take me in as a volunteer, Marion? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> why, was there why was there hesitation? <laughs> well, uh, it's manual labor. And, and, you know, that's why we don't take volunteers because people have the wrong idea about volunteers. They think it's these touchy feely places and we don't do that. Work here is hard work. It's picking up the feces. It's cleaning the enclosures. It's digging. It's cutting up cat food. That kind of thing. <laughs> it's not this glamorous thing that everybody thinks they see on TV. So, um, 
Yeah, you'd have to be ready for something like that. I'm ready for manual labor. I do. Actually, no, I know I'm serious. You're laughing at me like I don't, but no, my day. And that is so funny because people do. They see me like when I work with animals on television, they think I have the most glamorous life playing with the animals all day. And in reality, 99.9% of the time I'm cleaning up poop or, you know, clean exhibits yeah. and all that type of stuff. So. Yeah, that. no, th this kind of work would be right up the, the, the sort of way for a dirty jobs program, <laughs> you know, something in that line. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Marion, thank you so much. Where can people find you, the Cat Conservation Trust? Well, um, our website is www.karoocats.org. Um, and yeah, uh, all our information is on the website. And they can just send us an email. And... Yeah, we'll get back to them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.